Hi, I am Coach Emilio. Welcome to the Escuela del Sur. If you are a sports coach, do you want to find more freedom in your decisions and opportunities and find solutions in the day-to-day -day work of your profession? This podcast is for you. I will tell you from my experience as a coach in Dubai and interviews with coaches around the world, the habits, techniques, valuable background and give you more results with less effort. you to give your coaching career more possibilities and confidence in the competitive world of sport. Listen to our episode to get ideas on how to optimize your professional profile with continuous improvement so you can get more results, improving your quality of life along with your profession and your passion. Welcome to Escuela del Sur. Uh, we are here. We are very, very excited with this second interview in Escuela del Sur with an incredible performance acrobatic tumbling coach I meet here in Dubai, James Both. Welcome, James. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. How are you doing? I'm very good. Very, very good. Had a good day. So, yeah, I can't complain. Yeah, where you are now? I'm back in England. So I'm, I'm from England. I've done a lot of traveling recently, but now I'm back in England, hopefully for good. Okay, great. Um, James, you can give us a little background for who you are for the audience, know more about you? Sure, sure. So my background is obviously gymnastics. I started when I was seven. Uh, I went to a sports acrobatics and tumbling gymnastics club uh, where I live. I, I live in a very small um, town, if you can even call it a town, probably a village. And we don't have very good uh, gymnastics clubs in terms of their size. They're, they're very small. So I started in a, in a small club. And yeah, I just did it because I enjoyed it. I did, always did sport growing up. I did a lot of different sports and gymnastics was one of the sports that I did. Um, not a lot of fear. So I was doing pretty well in the gymnastics competitions. And, and then one of my coaches said, I think you're, you're talented and we should, we should work a little bit harder. So I put some of the sports to the side and I committed to gymnastics uh, training more. So I was doing sort of three times a week. Represented my county, which in England is quite a big deal. And then, yeah, then I was off to university. And from there, I, I increased my training again, went to around 20 hours a week and worked with my coach to get me up to a international level. And that's when I, I represented my country for tumbling. I did uh, four years in the senior men's team and yeah, I had a great time competing. I competed in quite a few internationals, uh, traveled 
traveled the world with the with the squad and then from there I got into circus performing so I was using this the tumbling the the knowledge I'd learned from there and I was accepted into Cirque du Soleil uh, in 2016 as part of the creation of Septimodia which was a show based on the music of Soda Stereo which I believe your audience should be familiar with so I was there for a couple of years. I was performing eight times a week. And um, from there sort of moved on to another show. This was in Dubai where um, I was doing a lot more things performing wise. It wasn't just tumbling. I got in as a tumbler and then developed as a performer to be a, a high diver and a porter and an aerialist and all sorts of different different disciplines um yeah just kept going from there uh moved on from that show and then went into like freelancing uh which in dubai is is quite a big thing as as there's lots of events in dubai and lots of people to entertain so i was i was you i was working in dubai as a freelance performer as an acrobatic duo um so yeah I, i've done all sorts and that's sort of 10 years of performing uh, you have a lot multifaceted uh, possibilities in your profile because I remember when you was here in Dubai, you have a lot of opportunities and networking uh, with your experience. Yeah, I think because I'm not uh, I'm not young as I used to be. I'm not certainly not old, but I, over my time, I have picked up a lot of skills, and I think that's managed. It has helped me survive in this world a little bit longer, maybe, than just, just a tumbler would. Um, I sort of diversified my portfolio of performing skills. So I, I've got a little bit of everything. So, yeah. You remember when we saw a, a video of your coach, if you can mention the name of your coach and the club you trained, because it was a special situation with not a lot of equipment, but with a lot of knowledge and practice and techniques. So my my coach is, uh, is Craig Lowther. He's a British coach. And we trained in a facility which, it was like an industrial unit, um, and it didn't have that much space. Uh, so we really were maximizing the facility as much as possible. We had, we had the tumble track very close to the wall um, and the roof wasn't especially high. So we had some heaters which would hang down and it wasn't that much different distance uh, when, you, when you were doing your transitions, for example, you could, you had maybe sort of six to 12 inches gap and then we had a fast track which overlaps the track and an air track which fit underneath was <laughs> like highway, the fast one track. highway other highway other it, it was like shakeside road <laughs> for tumbling yeah and the we name had of the club. what was the name ah, it's called wakefield gymnastics club yeah it's in the north of england good experience there and a lot of memories a lot of memories we trained really hard really very hard um I, I was there. It felt like home, you know, like second home. I was there. Often I'd train up until 9 p.m. And then I'd be there at 9 a.m. the next morning. And you question why you're not just living in the gym. You know, it would be so much easier. <laughs> what is the more uh, beautiful experience you have like athlete in this place or 
or your memory with your coach, what you learn with your coach in this moment, you keep in this moment until now? Oh, a uh, favorite memory would be British Championships 2014. It was a big competition, not in a grand scheme of things. It, was, it, was a, it wasn't international, it was a national competition. But it was a big one for me because it was the qualifiers for the world championships. So we, we used that competition as um, a precursor to select the team that would then go to the world championships. And I'd had a little run of injuries previously so I missed the the competitions before I'd missed and going into this one it was kind of a make or break situation so we really attacked the trainings up to this competition and I, I tumbled the best I've ever tumbled in the run-up to that competition so I was going into this competition with with a lot of confidence but not a lot of competition experience running up to it so with the pressures, with everything that was going on, what it meant, the passes that I was doing were the hardest passes I'd ever competed. It was, it was a lot, but my memory is that I, I, kinda, I just went into a zone that was enjoyable and I competed just like I trained. And it's something I preach to my children that I teach now, which is to train like you compete so when you get to competition it feels like a training and this for me was the first competition where that actually felt how it was uh, so yeah I landed I landed all my passes I finished second so it was my highest finishing uh, competition in the UK and I also got selected for the world championships which was going to be my first world championships so it was a long plan that worked and there was just a lot of relief up to that and you know I had a lot of positive feedback and not a lot of people had seen what I was doing behind the scenes with work I was I was working so much to to get myself ready for this competition and that it was such a nice positive feedback when I was able to perform in front of you know thousands of people and all my peers and all my coaches watching it was it was a great moment and I really felt like I had a good connection with my coach that day. He was very proud. And what you bring until now, a value or way for training from your coach and you're practicing now like a coach sometimes. Mm. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's when you're younger, you, you don't necessarily understand as much as you do when you're older, like life experience teaches you a lot. And it's only now I sort of reflect on what he would say and understand what he meant Maybe at the time I didn't understand necessarily what he was meaning by what he was saying. So my goal as a coach now is to try and explain, not better, because I don't think he did a bad job of explaining it, but I just didn't understand some of the things he was saying. So I really try to understand now that if you don't know why you're doing something, you're not going to give you all. I think what I bring now is knowledge and experience I try to bring my experiences into my coaching and we'll give examples you know when as coaches we all we all understand the fundamentals of why we're doing something um, 
but the children who are say eight or nine or ten years old don't necessarily understand this so I like to to use my experiences and give them as examples as to when something that I did as a training method worked and what I was able to gain as a result of that and I use um, sort of athletes as pedestals for kids if I know a a child looks up to a specific athlete you know uh, a gymnast uh, you know a specific tumbler or a sports acro flyer you know I'll make sure that I work with that child analyzing videos with them to get involved so that we fit they feel like we're on the same team and then I bring it backwards from there and say right get them to tell me what was good about their technique you know what did you see get them to analyze more because gymnastics is such an analytical sport it's a perfectionist sport and it requires you to have an understanding of of biomechanics physics you know angles of attack it's such a like technical sport that if you don't fundamentally understand why a technique is the way it is you'll never do it yourself. So I try to not necessarily get into the nitty gritties with the kids at the beginning, but I do get them to look at per- like perfect technique and then get them to tell me what was good about it. And then I will, you know, video them. I use video quite a lot and I, you know, put them side by side and then, and then, you know, often that works really well because they can see, oh, my, my angle is not as steep as, as this person. So, uh, you know, it brings it and, and they, they work it out themselves what they're doing wrong and that therefore means they understand what they've done wrong and if they understand it then they're more likely to change it it's very complicated to give a lot of knowledge uh, to kids sometimes try to do something very specific uh, some and, and one momentum one second explains yep. something is difficult is it is our art give this with a more friendly way this knowledge like a coach The next question for you, what means for you be a coach? Really great question that has a lot of possible answers. Yeah, it's deep. Um, what does it mean? Well, simply it's giving knowledge to the next generation. Um, human beings are pretty impressive creatures that as generation to generation, we compound our knowledge you know, we learn from our mistakes and we pass that knowledge on to the next so they don't have to make the same mistakes that we did. Therefore, they'll grow faster. So fundamentally, it's, it's about that compounding knowledge and working, working with a new generation to better the sport. You know, you can see how far the sport's come just in the last five to 10 years. It's, it seems to have accelerated massively but on like a deeper personal level it's more it's more about nurturing I think you know I I I love children um and I know that I had a very good relationship with my sports coach my my gymnastics coach and you know it's it's a different role in someone's life it's not a you're not trying to be the father you're not trying to be anything other than the gymnastics coach but inevitably you spend so much time together that you get to know these children on such a deeper level that sometimes you know in my case I did see my coach more than I saw my dad due to working restrictions of him you know I never said that he he is my dad he's not he's my coach but I had that kind of relationship with him and you know it's just another 
person in your life who you can trust and be there and get advice from because you're similar you know the similarities between the gymnast and the coach are there because you're both at the same sport you're both there you both love it you know so I would not necessarily talk to my, my parents about gymnastics in such a deep level because I know they don't have an understanding like that I had that output with my coach and I would talk because we're both obsessed with it we never got bored with it and that's a relationship that's really nice and I want to have that with children in the future and if if I can help raise uh, raise children in a in a safe environment where they feel uh, valued then then that's that's a gift you know yeah, as it's something I hear from a lot of coaches in UAE is I pass more time on the gym comparing my home. <laughs> yeah, especially in the UAE. Crazy. It's like how you uh, create the second home in, in the gym. Completely agree. Tell me more about this travel in Latin America with Circo du Soleil. Who is working this multicultural and high-performance team? What was the Septimo Dia? Uh, well, put simply... It was a combination of circus with music. Um, the music in this show was from the Argentinian rock band of the 80s, Soda Stereo. And we worked with Soda for a number of months before the show got going to create a concept for the show. Um, because every show has a storyline. We had to work on what that was. And really it was a celebration of their music because the lead singer, Gustavo Cerati, was, uh, well, he died, unfortunately. So their story got cut short, which is very sad. And we felt like we were continuing their story. And it was quite a, a nice thing to do and it felt very special to be a part of because the the culture you know I, I'm sure I don't have to explain to many of your viewers the the culture of music in South America it's very very strong and very very attached so to be able to continue that trend was 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 lovely and what it was we essentially had 15 acts to 15 songs and uh, we started we had 75 people during creation, which, which included all of the creation team, all of the acrobats, and they were all from Cirque du Soleil. And our job for six months was to just basically put this together. How do we piece every act together? How do we make the transition seamless? How do, it's, it's all logistics in the beginning. As, you know, personnel, how does this person work when he needs to be getting ready for his act here, you know, just figuring out all the details. That was the first six months. And then once the show was ready, we premiered in Argentina, Buenos Aires, and we did about three months of shows there. And what was quite unique about this show was the number of audience members we had was so much larger than a regular Cirque show. So a normal Cirque show has Oh, roughly 1,000, maybe 1,500 people. And we, we had 8,000 because it was, it was a full-on concert. We had 2,000 people stood up in what we called the campo. And then we had sort of four to 6,000 people sat down in, in the arena. So it created this atmosphere. And what was unique was 
the majority of people had never seen circus before in their lives. They were there because the music was there. So you were performing this incredible circus act in front of people who had never seen this before, who had turned up for the music and they'd got this incredible show. So the atmosphere was, was electric every single night. It was, it was phenomenal. Um, I, it's, it, it will never, I will never forget those moments because every single night you went out there, the adrenaline was high, the music was loud, we were rocking, the place was rocking every single night and you felt like a rock star. It was fantastic. It was, yeah, there aren't enough adjectives in the English language that I know of to sort of suitably describe how the feeling was. But we, we, it was a touring show. So we started in Buenos Aires and then we moved to Cordoba in Argentina. We toured there for, well, we were there for a month. And then uh, we went across to Peru. We were in Peru for a month came down to Chile, we were in Santiago de Chile for a month, back up to Colombia, we were in Bogota for a month, then we had a little show break, came back to the, the Central American countries, so we had Costa Rica, Panama, Guatemala, then we had another show break, and then we came back to the United States, we did Miami, Florida, then it was back down to, we did Mexico for three months, then we came back to Argentina, it was it was it was amazing because for work and I was part of this incredible show. It was, ah, it was yeah, it was a dream come true. It was like the perfect tour. I've I've always been interested in South America. I've always been interested in learning Spanish. You know, I do a lot of salsa dancing, which is all Latin music, and now I actually understand what the words are. <laughs> Sometimes in reggaeton, you kind of don't want to know what they're talking about, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fantastic. What, what, you learn Spanish in the in the way when you travel. Yeah, we. Uh, I was with my wife, and um, both of us, we wanted to get the best out of the experience. And um, she took some classes, and I learned from a guy off YouTube. And I was practicing. Obviously, there were South American people in the show, so a lot of Argentinians. So I would I would practice with them, and my physio was Mexican, so he would always speak to me in Spanish and correct me and I, I tried to take classes when I could but it, it wasn't very often I had I think I had two weeks in Peru where I took a, you know a week of classes and yeah it, it slowly developed over time you know what it's like it helps when you're in the country everyone speaks the language everyone's very accepting which is really nice um you know if you don't say a word quite correctly they will help you and they don't they don't you feel you don't speak very well but you speak very well and you bring on a second soul because when mm. you speak in spanish you are different completely different when you speak english <laughs> yeah a different a, a much different person because my vocabulary is much smaller i have to be much more direct <laughs> yeah how, how many people work in the circle to slay in this uh, in this big uh, performance with uh, septimo dia We had 37 artists. That was it. In terms of size, it's about half the size, cast size of a normal show. So a normal show has around about 60 to 65 people. We had 37. So it was mainly solo artists. That's the way we got around that. 
um, the house troop was used in the main act, the, the finale act. And up until that point, it was essentially lots of solo artists performing to a soda stereo song. And that's why that's how we managed to keep our numbers down. Uh, we had a crew, which I would be guessing how many it was. I do not know the number. It would probably be 50 people, I would say. So, yeah, we were constantly around about 90, 90 to 100 people. We would hire people locally as well. So we had local providers of, of staff which would come and help the show because um, we performed in the audience. So in the campo, which was obviously where everyone was stood up, we brought acts into the campo. So we had lots of people there to move the audience uh, to make space for the act. So that was another unique part of the show. We were one of the first shows in the world to to bring the acts into the audience rather than just having traditional stage audience. So it was it would bring a unique perspective to our show. Great. And how was the experience for work in Dubai with the, the same uh, business? It was different. Um, a lot of a lot of differences between the two shows. One one was a resident show. One was a touring show. So touring your life is constantly on the road. You constantly live in hotels. You never have any roots. It's constant change uh, with a much greater emphasis on your family because they, you know, your, your circus family, because they're the only constant in those few years. Uh, whereas when when you work at a resident show, you have the opportunity to put your roots down a bit more to find find people outside of work find common grounds different sports it's it is different i i liked both experiences but la pearl was a much bigger show uh, we were in an aqua theater the the size of the theater was really hard to describe it was absolutely massive <laughs> if you haven't been it the ceilings are about it's about 40 meters tall the ceilings we've got a giant stage that comes out and it's probably 25 meters. It's huge. And then you can flood the whole stage with water. You can make it rain. It's got waterfalls. Um, we've got all sorts of apparatus that comes down from the ceiling, which we can do. And we, we make use of the, the, the space. The height is magnificent. So, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful theater. And how was your experience in work in a, in a place when you can share in the city? Because I think... You discovered Dubai, you work in La Perle, and what was this uh, life like a performance and enjoy Dubai? It was a nice change up, to be honest. It was uh, it was good to, to discover a new place uh, and not be there for just a month. Because um, every, every time you traveled, you would have to start from zero. You know, you'd have to find the good restaurants. You'd have to find out if there's a cinema. Just the the simple things that keep you going as a person you have to try you know that was how we got through traveling which was i like to go see films so try and find a cinema in every place and food wise which food you like so living in dubai for as long as we did we were able to to live you know we we had our favorite restaurants i was able to play golf which i really like uh cricket we yeah you did cricket. I, I did i played cricket i watched england play cricket yeah great timing so i got a cat that was great still yeah. is so she's back home now with us we um 
we brought her back with us. So yeah, it, it, it was it was nice to have some roots for a, for a while. And what year you meet Dubai? When you enter in this place? Oh, uh, it was 2019 that we arrived, February 2019. Pre-COVID. Uh, Pre-COVID. It was a very different time, as everyone can imagine. Yeah, we were, we were working at full capacity every night, 10 shows a week, bashing out shows. It was, it was real work. We did, we did a lot of shows. Difficult skills you develop in La Perla? Ooh, I learned to do aerial and high diving, which are two skills I've never done before. And prior to Dubai, I was scared of heights. Um, so naturally, I became a high diver. <laughs> Started out as a thing to get over my fear, just to expose me to heights because I knew I was going to have to do height work. So I just used the diving as an opportunity to just put myself at height five or six, seven times a day. Um, and then it ended up that with my tumbling skills, I was able to, to do it quite well. And then they were like, you should probably do this in the show. And suddenly I was a high diver in the show. <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was quite a nice journey and a nice, I was quite proud of what I was able to do. In the end, I was at 18, 18 meters, which is much, much higher than I should be. <laughs> much more, much more height than I'm used to tumbling. But oh, it was great. I enjoyed it. And then same for aerial acropole. We were up at probably 22 meters at some points, um, sort of holding onto a pole between your legs, which was as hard as it sounds. Yeah, I saw you make some upper ties uh, with a suit. And you yeah. jumped into a platform inside the water and was very crazy, yeah. very elegant, gorgeous mm -hmm. in the water. <laughs> yeah, that was for a commercial. Uh, they were looking for a high diver who would jump off a, a, a diving board in a suit for the for the commercial. So naturally, I was like, hi, yes, I'll Did do that. From <laughs> British guys, 007. <laughs> It's like a mission. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They wanted a bald 007, so it was perfect for the job. Senor James, um, what is your present and your future? Because I think you have some projects from Sheffield and you work now in high performance like a coach. Tell me more about it. Yeah, so my long-term my long -term goal is to remain in coaching. I want to um, have my own gym. Um, I've worked a long time to build a business plan and yeah we're currently at the stage where we're asking for funding to start it i want to have a sports acrobatic and tumbling gymnastics club that caters from six months all the way through to elite level and adults and yeah it's, it's been a huge project that i've worked on for a long time and finally it's, it's starting to take feet and um Yeah, I'm currently doing the coaching courses that I require to do to do this. In the UK, you need to be of a certain British level. Gymnastics. British gymnastics, that's right. So you need to have a level two qualification, which is a club coach. So, uh, yeah, so I started that course um, a couple of weeks ago. So I'm, I'm currently at a different club working on my coaching qualifications. So I've got an elite group of sports acro gymnasts, which I'm working with to sort of better their progress. Uh, and also they're helping me by doing a coaching course. And then fingers crossed, if everything goes well, I will be opening a club next year. So 
I will yeah. visit. Yeah, I will visit your club. Yeah, providing we get funding, you can come definitely. <laughs> now we make the advertise for your club. Don't worry, we will hear this uh, yeah. podcast in your club in the future. Fantastic. Yeah, no, I'll definitely keep it. It's it's one of those things we're trying to obviously do gymnastics. That's a given, but we want to use our experience that we've gained from performing and and the contacts that we've gained along the way to to help children that want to also get into performing arts provide them with a pathway to get in because I know when I was looking to get into this world I just had no idea how to there was no person I could ask there was no book on it it was not on the internet no one had blogged it it was it was an unknown entity and it was just be as good as I can be and hope that someone spots me that was basically how I was doing it and then once I got in I realized ah there are things that they look for there are ways to make a showreel that you get more noticed ah what do the successful artists have in their caliber so you meet lots of incredibly talented people and you quickly learn what attributes you need to be a successful performer so with that I now want to create a pathway within the gymnastics club for those that want to get into the performing arts. Um, yeah, provide a pathway for, for that. So whether it works or not, I don't know. I don't know of another club that sort of has this. People like me that want to get into performing arts because I, I actually wanted to get into performing arts sort of more than I wanted to compete for my country. Um, I've, always, I've always had a passion for performing and, and giving energy to people. It's, I, I strongly believe in art, the, the, the arts world and what it offers. So, yeah, if I can get more people into there and inspire the next generation, then that's what I want to do. Great. James, what will be the name of your club? Simply Sheffield Gymnastics Club. Well, I want to see where is the potential of these clubs in the few years. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm really excited. And I, born in one idea. Yeah, yeah. This journey started about five years ago. We started brainstorming ideas as to how it all goes, and there's, there's a lot of work that goes into starting a club. So, yeah, it's been a long journey, and we're getting closer, which is great. Great. And about the the club now, you're training and you design all the program or the training program. Yeah. Yeah. So. As part of my work there, I'm currently redesigning the programs that the kids are working on um, to give them hopefully a better pathway. We've, we've created or well, I've created a six week program for all of the children to follow, um, which is going to be including is everything from from warm up to stretches to the performance pathway, uh, conditioning and then progress reports how they structure the sessions the timings of the sessions it's it's a full-on review of of how it's being dealt with how it's how it's done previously and how we can improve the coaching going forwards great and you uh, define some important words if you want to run your your club because everything about capacity, the program, the schedules, the space, uh, the warm-up, the strength condition, all the things what you say, 
you start to learn from a, a lot different envir environments or gymnastic yeah. and later you bring all these ideas in your place that's, that's the beauty of of having this traveled experience is that i've coached now in multiple countries in multiple gyms and i've been in many successful gyms of different styles of gymnastics and you're basically picking the best parts or what worked really well from each gym and then putting it together and being like right this is the winning I think this is the winning winning formula and what I'm trying to do now at the gym club I'm coaching at now is is essentially just try all this out like does this work so I'll have some real life feedback whether my ideas and my plans and my programs are, are going to work in the future at Sheffield um, so it's it's great uh, it's like a dummy practice for me so that's that's what I'm teaching treating it as and um, putting a lot of energy into seeing if it works great what advice or advice for the, the new generation of coaches well, I think that question has sort of two ways of responding I can I can respond directly to the the gymnast that was myself 20 years ago so I would have been 10 please um, go, as, go a, as a coach you have freedom. My, my 10 year old self well it's quite specific you know I would I'd advise me to put more focus on training in gymnastics because at that time I was training like five different sports at the time and I wasn't necessarily giving gymnastics my full attention because I didn't know that that was going to be the path I was going to take. So with hindsight, I would say to myself, like, this is going to be your life, your income, your passion. Stop doing table tennis and golf and <laughs> all of the other sports you're taking part in and take your gymnastics a bit more seriously. Because not that I, I, I don't feel like I peaked even as a performer or, or as a tumbler for my country. I, I was still improving. I just sort of ran out of time. I got to a stage where I was 24 and I was, I was still learning and life meant that I had to stop. I had to get a job because my uni degree had finished. So I didn't choose to finish my tumbling career. It just ended because I had to move on and I was still learning. And, you know, I'm very proud of what I've done. But there is a little part of me that still is like, I wonder what you would have done if you'd have kept going. So, yeah, personally, I would have said to myself, commit to the gym more. But to other people, it's a much broader question. Um, it's a great question. I think f find your passion. Find parts whatever it is within this within the sport that, that that really gets you and then when you find that just go full on 100 into that direction don't don't question it and just give it your all because you never know where it might take you we find this word uh, a lot of times in our conversation about passion mm. that maybe in the coaches one of the more important uh, advice is about find your passion because when you find this energy this deep a gas or it never end yes is yep. you enjoy you have enthusiasm and you go to your job happy because you really enjoy what do you do yeah I, i completely agree it's it's an endless supply of energy when you find your passion and 
that can be uh, an incredible thing that not a lot of people have. So if you find that early on, you'll have a big advantage. James, I think it's done. And thank you so much. Muchas gracias. I'm so happy to have this uh, friendly interview because in end of the record, like a friend, uh, Uh, this experience with me you here in Dubai was amazing. I learned a lot from you and we promised the audience in Latin America, we will do the interview in Spanish too. This is very much challenging. I know, but it's something uh, I really know a lot of people in Latin America want to know about your story, about your background, because you can inspire, you can give some advices for, or make a, a lot of impact who, like Emilio, four years ago, uh, didn't speak in Spa uh, English. And now mm. I meet you and I learn a lot about gymnastics. Un placer. placer. Uh, thank you so much, uh, James. And I will see you soon. And thank you so much for to all the audience uh, was uh, in this moment and listen all this podcast. Remember, you can find this audio and the video on YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. And we will continue with this content for all the coaches ar around the world with uh, more interviews with incredible people we meet here in Dubai. Okay. Thank you so much, James. You're welcome. Thank bye you, everybody, bye. for listening. Bye-bye. And, well, the episode has come to an amazing end. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you next time on the podcast for Coaches of the World, Escuela del Sur. Don't forget to subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and check out all the episodes available on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, LinkedIn, and YouTube as Escuela del Sur. See you next time. Vamos arriba.